Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Hello, Bethany. It's so good to see everyone. And if you're watching online, we just want to welcome you to uh, this service. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4, we're uh, studying uh, this uh, series called uh, Greater, that he must be greater and, and we must become less. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the idea of having faith, that uh, uh, he must become greater and we uh, must believe what he says to us and trust him. So as you're turning there, I just wanted to um, let you know I'm going to be reading starting with verse 43 through 54. And uh, this is uh, uh, the last story in uh, John chapter 4, and it, it's a wonderful story, um, and it has um, just this amazing uh, line there where uh, the official, um, the royal official takes Jesus at his word. So look for that when we come to that verse. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself uh, pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been in there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Uh, in this uh, story, let me just set the scene. Uh, there's this uh, one little uh, paragraph that uh, starts with verse 43 that uh, he had uh, been with uh, the Samaritan woman and the village uh, in uh, Samaria. And uh, after two days there, he left for Galilee. And then verse 44 says, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And uh, the scholars kind of debate whether he's talking about uh, all of Galilee or is he talking about an incident when he was in his hometown of Nazareth and, uh, and the people kind of rejected him. And uh, there's this um, 
where does this really belong? And so for me, uh, I, I just don't think that's important exactly uh, what region. I think it's the Galilean area. They, they welcomed him because he was a miracle worker, but I'm not sure they were really putting their faith in him. But it's an interesting argument. I do know that uh, that saying has been uh, something in my life that I've hung on to, that a prophet is, uh, has no honor in his hometown. And I remember uh, becoming a young pastor, and I struggled you know, through uh, high school. I struggled through college. I struggled through seminary. You know, I couldn't wait to make it. I was really striving, you know, whatever that means, making it. And uh, there were people that were really influential in my life. And I remember this one guy was such a good speaker and such a good communicator. And he had been our high school camp uh, communicator. And I just, I just loved this guy. And he used humor. And I, I, I just thought he was the best. And, and I just couldn't wait to make it and then, you know, be able to talk to him and talk to some others that were influential in my life. And by the time I thought that I had made it, whatever that means, um, uh, most of them had died. And uh, when I met this guy, uh, he had complete dementia and didn't know even who I was. And I was just like, oh my goodness, there, you know, there's just no honor. And the people that we want to impress, and then my wife, you know, she always has good counsel. And she said to me, you know, maybe you shouldn't worry about what other people say to you. Maybe you should just worry about what Jesus thinks. And I said, thank you, Elaine. So anyway... Thank you for laughing. So anyway, uh, uh, let's go into this story about the official son. This official um, uh, hears that Jesus is in Cana. And Cana is about 16, 17 miles from uh, Capernaum. Capernaum is on the uh, Sea of Galilee, which, if you remember, is uh, 700 feet uh, below sea level. And uh, it's really interesting. He... Um, he goes to uh, Jesus. He hears that Jesus is there. He knows that he can heal. His son uh, is very sick in Capernaum. And uh, he goes to where Jesus is at, at Canaan. Canaan is where Jesus did that first miracle of the changing uh, the water into wine. And here uh, we know that he's going to heal this, this, this young boy. And what's interesting is both of those miracles are done out of sight of a lot of people. There's a few servants that know Jesus did it. And then uh, the, the royal official, he knows that Jesus did it. And then their household, and they believe in him. But not, you know, gobs and gobs of people. And so it's a really interesting thing. And when it says royal official, uh, it probably was some official from the court of Herod, Herod uh, of the northern kingdom. And so um, he was probably an official that was checking out the tax station uh, in Capernaum, or maybe he was living there, or maybe, uh, well, we don't know why he was there, but uh, his son gets really sick. We know that it's a fever. The actual word for fever down in, um, in uh, verse 52 is, is fire. You know, it's the idea that he had a fiery fever. And his son is super sick. Uh, when he, uh, verse 7, when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee, he went and he begs Jesus to come and heal his son. He begs him. And I don't know if he got on his knees, but back in those days, you know, royal officials, you know, expected people to get on their knees before them. And so I, I imagine him getting on his knees and begging Jesus to come heal his son who lay sick and who was close to death. And there's nothing more scary than a child being really sick and terrible, terrible fever. 
is just a nightmare for parents. It is one of the worst things. Uh, I, I know that uh, certain things happen with uh, children, and one of the worst things that can happen is for a child uh, to die for families. It's um, one of the worst clubs that you can ever join. And I've done uh, funerals as a pastor for uh, uh, babies that have passed away and little children that have passed away. And it is the saddest thing, is the most heartbreaking thing. And it, you just can't imagine. So you can see this father heart just, just begging Jesus to come heal. Just please come heal. Please come heal him. And, and before we move any further, I just want you to know that uh, I've been doing a lot of memorial services, and a lot of them are from people that have passed away during the COVID time. And so, you know, I'm averaging about one a week, and uh, some of them are graveside, some of them are here at Bethany. It's just been, uh, you know, memorial service after memorial service. And uh, I want you to know that there's seven stages of grief when you go through this kind of thing. And one of the heaviest griefs that ever could be is the loss of a child. If you lose a son or a daughter, there is nothing more terrible. And there was this uh, lady that came up with the you know, five stages of grief, and they've been expanded. You know, sometimes you'll see the six stages, the seven stages. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I want to make sure I give credit for that. And uh, the one I'm going to give you is uh, the George Bedlian order of uh, stages of grief. And I just want to talk about that before we go any further in the story. So uh, the first uh, stage of grief is a shock and confusion. Now, there's other um, orders, you know, but I start with this one because this is what I've seen in my ministry is there's just shock and confusion. People get this fog in their brain. They can't think. They, they, they struggle. They, there's just this absolute shock that has happened. Even if they were expecting it, there's just shock and confusion, and, and it's really, really hard. And uh, the other thing about the seven stages of grief, even if you, you're grieving from some of the stuff uh, during this pandemic um, that we've been going through. People have uh, lost a lot of stuff. Uh, we've lost people that have died. People have gone through divorce. Uh, people have had some horrible things happen. People have lost their businesses. People have gone bankrupt. People have lost their homes. Uh, there is, you know, all kinds of things that have happened. People that you've loved have moved away to other parts of the country. I've had friends that have moved away. I've had friends that have left the church. I mean, there's just all kinds. And, and grief is, you're grieving over loss. So the first one is just shock and confusion. And the second one is anger. And there's some people that get more anger than other people, and that's my go-to one, is just to get angry. And when you feel that loss, you just get this anger. And then for other stages, there's denial, and then sometimes there's bargaining. And uh, the one, too, that happens is depression and isolation. You know, when <sighs> this horrible stuff happens, many times anger eventually turns into depression, and then you isolate. And that's very dangerous. Uh, to isolate. And I'm not saying that everyone goes through all of these, but these are kind of like stages. And they're more like uh, catching a wave in the ocean. Uh, if, if you ever have surfed or body surfed, uh, waves come in sets. When you have good waves, they come in sets of like six. And, and you catch these waves. And many times in the springtime, at least in the Washington coast, you just get one wave after another that just keeps going over you. So it'd be hard to tell uh, what, what stage that you're in. 
And then there's guilt and pain, especially if it's a loved one. Many times the pain is so unbelievable. And the guilt, I should have said, I love that person more. I should have spent more time with them. There's all kinds of things they go through. And then finally, acceptance and then hope. And one of the things that we need to pray for is when we have families that lose someone, uh, is to be very, very careful that we help them. And we don't say things like, well, when are you going to get over this? Or uh, when are you going to move on? And, uh, you know, there's life on the other side. You have to be really careful. And if someone loses a child, uh, like this story is about, there needs to be real care of what you say. And sometimes the best thing to do is not to say anything at all, uh, just to cry with them and to be with them and and, and to be uh, really a friend, a brother or sister to them. So those seven stages of grief, I wanted to get you to kind of uh, have that and, and let you know that a lot of people are going through things. And I know a lot of people have spoken to me. I've gotten a lot of emails. People have gone through all kinds of stuff where they have just feeling this loss. And one of the ones that uh, I'm picking up a lot during this pandemic year is, uh, especially right now, uh, the people that have been, you know, soldiers of wearing their mask and obeying, you know, the governor and doing all the things they're supposed to. But now that there's kind of like a light in the tunnel and the vaccines are available, there's kind of uh, something I've been hearing a lot, and that is, I'm just done with this. I don't know if you've heard that at all. I'm just through with this. I'm just done with it, you know. And uh, and they're kind of having some of the the stages, you know, uh, of grief, you know, because they've had loss. They've lost their freedom. They've lost, you know, their life that they're used to having, and they're just tired of it. And I, I don't know which one you would put that in, but, you know, I, I know that people are getting really frustrated. And if you can put them in those uh, seven... Uh, stages and many times that will help you and for me when I've lost friends or I've gone through betrayal uh, one of the best tools in my toolbox for going and getting through the grief process and getting to acceptance and hope and it takes time but for me it's forgiving but it also is thanksgiving that I become thankful to God and really let him know I'm thankful so let's pick it up again. I went away from the, the Bible story. Come back. Let's, um, verse 48, you know, he's begging Jesus. And Jesus says this thing that he just kind of shocks people when he sometimes is kind of abrupt. And he says, you know, in a, in a way it's kind of abrupt. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And you would think that would just turn the man away. And he'd just turn away and go home dejected. But he still request from Jesus to heal his son. The royal official said in verse 49, sir, come down before my child dies. And when he's saying come down, Canaan uh, is not at the, at the, is higher in height and elevation than uh, the Sea of Galilee. So it would be going down to the Sea of Galilee. He says, come down before my child dies. Come down and heal. And Jesus in verse 50, I think this is the most wonderful thing, this idea of taking Jesus at his word. Jesus says, go, and your son will live. Go, and your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. The word took, I took Jesus at his word, is literally the word to have faith, to believe, 
to trust. We could substitute any of those words. The man believed Jesus at his word. The man trusted Jesus at his word. The man took Jesus at his word. It is the most wonderful thing that is required in our walk and our spiritual journey with Jesus is to believe, to have faith. And then verse 51, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, his fever left him. His fire left him. And I want you to know that Jesus can heal long distance. Jesus can heal long distance. It's the most wonderful thing that he doesn't have to touch Back in the 80s when I was a pastor, uh, we had uh, a lot of um, faith healers. uh, And some of them on television were so-called faith healers. And uh, I better step down here and just give you my opinion because this is going to sound like a put-down. And I don't mean it as a put-down, but they would always kind of like smack them in the head. This one guy would smack them in the head and go, be healed, you know. And uh, it just bothered me for some reason. And I want you to know if I had the gift of healing, like the real gift of healing like Jesus is talking about, I would just heal people from long distance. And the first place I would go is not a church service. The first place I would go to is the children's hospital. And I would just go up and down the aisles and, and, and let people get saved. And the next place I'd go is the burn unit. There's nothing sadder, more painful, more awful than the burn unit. I'd go, and then I'd go to the, uh, you know, the, the cancer ward, and I'd go from one to one to one. And there is something about us praying to the Lord Jesus Christ because he can heal long distance. He doesn't have to physically touch someone. He can do it long distance. And then the whole family believes. Verse 53, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And the whole household, the whole uh, uh, royal official's household believed in him. And so you know there were Christians uh, that uh, were in King Herod's court. So it is one of the most awesome things. I'd like to give something real practical and, and talk about this idea of taking Jesus at his word, you know, believing Jesus. And uh, one of the things that I want to do is give you just a, a few things about taking Jesus at his word and believing in him. And uh, here, this uh, royal official, Jesus says, go, your son will live. And he just believes Jesus. And he goes back, and as he's going back, he meets them, and he asks about his son, and they say he's healed. And there must have been such rejoicing. So what if every one of us in this room, and every one of you that are watching this live stream, what if we took Jesus' word, and we uh, took Jesus at his word and believed? So let me just give you a few. I don't even know how many I'll get through. Uh, I probably could have had, you know, like 50 to 100, but let me just give you a few. Number one, uh, when you're really tired, when, you, when you're really, really tired, soul tired, when you're sick of it, Jesus said, I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when we really need rest, what would it be like if we took him at his word? And number two is take heart. 
Now, when we're discouraged or we're down or we're feeling blue or we're worried and filled with anxiety, what if we took Jesus' words where he says, take heart, which is another way of saying, have courage. Let me read you this verse. Um, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What if we took him at his word and we took heart and we didn't have to worry and we could have his peace? Number three is just taking Jesus at his word. Just believing what Jesus says and saying his word is true and believing it. Number three, when we're lonely or when we feel abandoned or when we feel isolated, Jesus says, I am with you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 30. The first time uh, we moved here to Puyallup, I came before Elaine and my family moved down here. We were coming down from Bellingham and we had uh, bought this house and it didn't have much furniture and it didn't have any TV and uh, I was there and we were leaving a place that we loved and we felt called here and uh, the first night I was alone I was by myself uh, and I laid down on the on the carpet and I heard the trains you know I didn't know there was constant trains in uh, Puyallup I don't know if you know that or not but we get so used to it but I could really hear the trains and I just had this sense you know have I made the biggest mistake of my life My kids love Bellingham. My wife loves Bellingham. We're leaving a church that we love. We're leaving people that we love. And and I just remember this verse, and I am with you always. And then I went to sleep like a baby and got up late. So anyway, uh, the next one is um, all things are possible. All things are possible. Uh, When you're facing something impossible, when you're facing something that you have no idea how it's going to work out, you're looking at an impossible situation or problem, Jesus says, and we can take him at his word, all things are possible with God. Mark 10, 27 says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And in my prayer journal, when I write down my prayers in the morning, six out of seven days, I have this one column that is called God Impossible. And I usually start out the same way. God, you can do the impossible. All things are possible with you. Help me to to uh, pray like the neighbor who pesters another neighborhood for bread. Uh, let me pray like the widow that comes to the, the judge and begs for uh, justice. Help me to persistent pray. And then I list impossible situations. And one of them started last uh, year uh, when I started praying for a vaccine. And I give God all the glory for the vaccine. I just think it's amazing. And I just prayed for that and prayed for that. And I know a lot of people, you know, that's political and they get mad. You know, I got people tell me not to pray for the vaccine, you know. But, you know, it happened. And and God does impossible things. And now I'm praying for America to be open. Praying for the emergency orders to go away. That God defeats the plague and that we open up our state and, and people get jobs and people who are going hungry can find jobs and work. And I'm praying for you know our whole country to be open. I don't know if you want to join me on that one, but it just seems impossible. There just seems one thing after another to hold it back. But I'm praying that God will open it up. And there's this idea that we pray for impossible things. Now, the next one uh, is if you are feeling like you don't have a friend, 
that you need a friend, that you need a friend that sticks closer to a brother. Jesus says, you are my friends. John 15 says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, what does he command? That we love each other and believe in him. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And he is a friend. And when you don't have a friend, Jesus sticks closer than a brother. And all we have to do is take him at his word. Number six, when you lose your focus on priorities, it's really easy to lose your focus on priorities. But uh, this is my dad's favorite verse, Matthew 6, 33. It was his life verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so there's this idea that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything comes into focus. (coughs) Excuse me. And then the last one I'm going to give you, the last one I'm going to give you is um, ask and you will receive. Do you need something? Uh, Do you have a need? Uh, Jesus says, ask. Uh, In Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And the verb form that's used there is continually ask, continually seek, continually knock. Uh, We had our grandkids over uh, the other night, and it was just awesome to see them. They'd been away for a week's vacation, and they came back, and uh, Wesley's three, and and, uh, he wanted me to see him do something. He'd run, and he did a little jump, and he'd look at me, you know, and he'd say... um, Look, Grandpa, look. And I was busy talking, you know. I said, look, Grandpa, look. Look, Grandpa, look. Watch me, Grandpa. Look at me. Look at me. And then he came and shook my hand. Look at me. And finally I noticed he was talking to me. And I said, what are you doing, Wesley? And so then he ran and jumped and looked at me. Did you look at me? I said, I looked at you. Nice jump. And I want you to know that many times uh, prayer seems like that. That we're going to the Father and we're saying, look. Look what I need. Look what's happening. And he knows what we need, but he sometimes likes to hear it. C.S. Lewis says, you know, um, uh, a mom will make cake, but she wants to hear her kids say, could I have a piece of cake? And there's nothing more wonderful than cake, right? So ask, ask. And one of the things is many times we don't really take Jesus at his word. We read this stuff and we say, yes, it's true. But we don't take him at his word. But as you go through the scriptures, especially uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at all the places that Jesus gives his word, basically promises, and take him at his promise. Take him at his word. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Do you have faith? Can you believe? Uh, Would you take Jesus at his word? Will you, will you trust in him? And that is one of the most important things, just like this royal official trusting in the Lord and trusting that he'd heal his son. Hey, stand with me and let me pray for you.